The Settle Down Podcast. You are listening to The Settle Down Podcast. With your host, Sean Settles. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! I'm Sean Settles. My co-host, Brian Hogan. You've seen him in uh, several episodes as like a part-time co-host. You may know him as our large cat expert and our pussyologist. Our guest is the drummer from the rock group. Is that what you guys call yourself, a rock group? Yep. AJ Newton. You guys are out of Nashville, Tennessee. How you doing? I'm good, Sean. Thanks for having me. Good talking to you too, Hogan. Yep, good talking to you. I was actually Hogan's co-hosted what, four or five episodes probably? Five, maybe six? And I was telling him that I had this schedule with you tonight and asked if he wanted in, and I was showing him your guys' band on Facebook. And I was showing him all the awards your last record had just won. Yeah. And and then it showed, like, on your Facebook page, like, you guys were first in all these different categories, and then, like, second, third, fourth, fifth. And he's like, I've seen all those other bands. And <laughs> I have. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, so. that's nice. I'm glad that you enjoy our music, Hogan. <laughs> I was actually listening to it today. I was like, I haven't really heard, listened to it before, so. Thanks. While I was at work today, I was listening to it. It was pretty good. Thank you. You go to heavier stuff a lot more, but that's kind of more my my style of music. Yeah. No, we had um, our last album was heavier, Mortal Ghost. It was more of that grungy rock kind of feel to it. Uh, but we had like mixed reviews where some people were like, well, we you're a nautical rock band so we want you guys to have more surf rock so it's like what's surf rock like what do most people define most people think of surf rock you think of like um beach boys type feel or dick dale you know what i mean or, i'm familiar with the beach boys did you guys ever have any beach boys sounding rock you guys have always been a little different than that style this album that we just put out is as close to <laughs> that as we're gonna touch uh beach boys they were really poppy uh yeah there's anything wrong with that we just didn't we didn't want to go too poppy because we we're like that grunge rock we like a little grit to what we're playing when i when people ask me about your band i always explain it i'm like it's like grunge meets jesus meets long john silvers (laughs) (laughs) you nailed it yeah (laughs) you got to get long john silvers in there (laughs) so uh well, you guys got the whole pirate ghost yeah. shit theme. Yeah, we we've we've embraced uh, that theme very very fully. Uh, Rusty likes to tell the story that uh, actually he didn't even name the band. Uh, there was another band he used to be in in college that kind of uh, a friend of his said, "Well, your name's Rusty Ship. You should name the band Rusty Ship, and then you should make music that sounds like a rusty ship, something gritty." and dingy and rockish and so he just so ran with it he ran with that man and uh so we try to write music that fits that theme uh and and also just that we're proud of yeah as the drummer how heavily are you involved in the writing of like uh, lyrics and the lyrics none that's all rusty uh the musicality portion everybody kind of had a hand in this last album which is different from the, the previous album. The previous album was pretty much all Russ. So this one was fun from a creative standpoint because he had he came to us with some good melodies uh, and the ideas of the songs, but then we all contributed different yes, You guys had to piece it together. Yeah, exactly. It was a big puzzle we put together. So that was fun to kind of see. Uh, it's fun for us to see some of those early, early demos as well and how they grew from okay this sounded okay to what it was on the record you know what i mean so yeah we all had had a good hand in it so you lived here in central indiana i've known you for years you're one of my best friend's brother and through that we became friends as well yeah and then you moved to nashville tennessee was the purpose to move to nashville tennessee to get involved in music uh yeah it was it was twofold um Marisa, my wife, and I had been talking about it for many, many years. It was her dream to always come down here to uh, pursue a master's degree from Belmont University. So that's what she's doing right now. 
it was my dream to also just play drums. I, I, I think I joke about it with Rusty. I said, when I first moved here, my biggest aspirations were to be in another cover rock band or something like that. Cause that was all I was used to in Indiana. Just playing uh, covers at bars and yeah, just play just any excuse I could to play to get out and jam with people. And um, I got lucky though, because like within, I think a month of living here, uh, I was like, I don't even know how to connect with other musicians in Nashville. I know nobody here. So as weird as it sounds, I got on Craigslist and started looking for like drummer wanted, drummer needed for a band. That's what I was going to ask. How'd you meet up with those guys? Yeah, that was, that was it. I, uh, I think I responded to like, three guys two of them sent me some really weird stuff one of them was like a 10 minute guitar solo and i was like what do you what do you want from me and, <laughs> and then then and then rusty sent me uh, a job application and i was like whoa this is this seems legit so he so, seemed serious about it yeah he was the only one who didn't even tell me really the name of the band he sent me a job application to see how serious i was i filled it out i sent it uh i sent it back over to him and then I think a week or two later, I heard back and he's like, um, you know, here's the band, check out the music, let me know what you think. And it reminded me a lot of Alice in Chains or any early grungier kind of stuff that I was always gravitating towards growing up listening uh, and playing drums. So I, I set up a, uh, a drum interview, an audition, and uh, did the audition with him. He and I went out for coffee right before that, though, and we hit it off as friends and the, the audition went really, really well. He called me like, I think at the end of that week and he was like, it's yours if you want to have the gig. And uh, we've been playing ever since and you know, just shot up from there. Did they have a drummer in the band before you joined the band or was it him kind of doing his own thing? Yeah, I think I was the third drummer for Rusty Ship. Yeah. And Russ, before he moved to Nashville too, he used to do, he did some solo work because uh, he's from the D.C. area. So he was in other band scenarios before he moved here. But kind of like me in a way, he's like, you know, if I'm ever going to do it, I'm going to at least move to Nashville and give it a try. And if I fall flat on my face, I fall on my face. But luckily, we've, we've had a lot of success. So, yeah. So your initial goal was just to hope to meet up with some guys and play some weekend gigs, and it's turned into a it's snowballed. bigger than what you probably initially thought at first. Very much so. I, I, I've accomplished things and, and been able to do things as a musician I never really thought I would be able to do uh, ever. Uh, you know, so I, I'm, I'm very blessed and lucky. What do you feel your peak so far, like your peak accomplishment within music has? Uh, a lot of little things, like be, you know, getting a chance to becoming a, a recording artist in Nashville. That was something back home in Indiana I'd always dreamt about doing. I'm like, that would be really cool to be on an album say that I, I recorded. Um, getting to work with a good producer who'd worked with other professionals. Um, so that was fun. And getting getting to like open up for some of the bigger artists that I grew up listening to, you know, we, we got to open up for Saliva, Tantrix, Smile Empty Soul, um i i, I, I at that show yeah you were there that's right yeah so you know getting to meet those other guys too and being like man this is a little weird i grew up listening to you guys now we're open up for you you know it's it's strange on one level but fun on another um and then just getting to meet people i think is is the more uh exciting thing because music brings a lot of people together in a lot of different ways so whether whether I'm at a show or whether I'm just hanging out with you guys at home or something like that, you know, someone someone will say something about our music, and and I'm like, oh, that makes it worth it, you know. If if you took a good positive message from it, or if you enjoyed just a, a rock and song that I was a part of, that makes me happy. Like I created something meaningful with my time. Yeah. So it's like like I said, a lot of little things, um, and then winning awards doesn't hurt too. <laughs> That's, that's always fun. I'm going to give you a second. I know you're not, you're a pretty humble guy, but tell everyone that's listening some of the things that your last album has accomplished. Or uh, so um, the last album, uh, Liquid Exorcist, we, I lost count how many nominations we had for different awards. Not, and I'm not saying that. I know you're a humble guy, so this is yeah, hard for you. It, it actually it, it surprised us how much it was well resounded. That's what I mean by that. 
Um, but a, a, we have a big following in the Christian market. And um, I think that's because a lot of the lyrics that Russ writes, he always writes from a really hope inspiring point of view. So a lot of the uh, people who listen to Christian rock, they gravitate towards that. And that's, that's awesome because, you know, there's, there's a market for that and it's healing. But um, we, we, uh, we have some pretty big fans over through JesusFreakHideout.com and JesusFreakHideout every year, what they'll do is they'll do a staff pick at the end of the year. So if your album came out within, like ours came out in 2019, back in November, their staff gets together, they vote on what they think are the top 10 albums of the year that have been put out by all of the professional uh, Christian musicians in the industry. And it's not like CCM, it's more like alternative rock, heavy metal, Christian music, like Disciple or Skillet, uh, some of these other. Yeah. And anyway, they, Anyone that hasn't listened, it's, you don't listen to it and be like, oh, that's Christian rock. It sounds like. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, you know, we grew up listening to like, say, P.O.D., for instance. P.O.D. is not really kind of segmented as a Christian rock band. And really, neither are we. We kind of bridge that gap. So we're, we're in both markets. But anyway, uh, we, we got picked as number 10 on their staff pick list. And then they do a fan vote after that in like March, like months later. And we won, we were nominated for five awards and we won all five. And what's fun is about that, we won the same five awards we were nominated for on our last album, Mortal Ghost, this time around again. So we're kind of like a two-peat. So I get, I joke. You won the same awards on. Yep, same exact awards. I said, we need to put a third album out now after this, and hopefully we win the same five awards again. But uh, now it was, um, it was, Album of the year, artist of the year, are the two biggest we won. And then it trickled down from there from rock, it was like rock alternative album of the year, independent rock alternative album of the year because we're not on a label. And then it was album artwork and uh, something else in there too. The yeah, album artwork's pretty cool. It, yeah. Pine Zayman is our artist. He's done the last two albums artwork for us. Uh, Rusty met him uh, years ago and he's, he's a cool, cool dude from everything he's told me, but his artwork is phenomenal. Obviously it's good enough for awards. And he's done, um, he has done, I can tell you two of our music videos. One of them you've seen, which is the one from SS Neuronic off the last album. One of them you have not seen, but is coming out very soon. Uh, for the last single that will release off this album. So I'll keep that one quiet, but I've seen the video. It's pretty cool. He did a good job. How was that being on? I saw the video where your guys are on the submarine. Is that the one you were talking about? No, that's Breaking Waves. Yeah, that one's been out for a minute. That, the, I was surprised by watching the amount of production value that went into it. That was, uh, that was, a lo that was the longest film video that we had worked on so far. It took us three days of filming that. Yeah. And then, so there was not just us as the crew of Rusty Ship, but there was a lot of people on, uh, on board with us filming that and making sure everything looked correct and also make sure that... Uh, it was well done. It was well done. Yeah. Uh, a guy named um, Aaron Scott uh, directed it and he and Rusty and all of us kind of our heads together on the vision of where we wanted that to go uh, and I thought he captured that very very awesomely it, it, it turned out way better than we thought it was going to turn out uh, I remember the first time we saw that we were in a band meeting and we all sat around and watched it like three four times in a row and we were just like man this is really cool he did a great job with that it team. looks like a worth every penny <laughs> yeah it looks like a professional you watch MTV it's right there with anybody else's yeah, the only thing it's missing is that little Vivo stamp down there in the in the bottom corner. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, but yeah, we were really happy how that how well that turned out. Was the initial goal when he started the band to be a Christian rock band, or did that just kind of happen because of the lyrics and the message that? I think that was just yeah. I think that just happened by happenstance. He just knows what messages he wants to depict, and he knows what uh theme an album is going to like the paint it's going to paint a certain picture you know what i mean 
So with Liquid Exorcist, it paints the picture of sea mine warfare in the 1940s and how it's taking out these innocent lives of passersby on ships that happened to just hit a, hit a random sea mine <clears throat> that was left over from war. You know what I mean? So that was the theme we went with with this album. Uh, he's got ideas for uh, probably the next 10 years worth of albums, to be honest with you. We've talked about it. We've got a lot of material in the pipeline. How, how many gigs have you guys lost with the coronavirus? Oh, let's see. There was two in North Carolina that should have happened in April. And then there was, oh, there was the one at Capone's in Shelbyville. We were, we were about to do that. I think it was on March the 20th. And it got, it got postponed because that was the week that Indiana and everybody else got told, you got to shut the bars down. So there was three. Then we were going to play the rock and roll marathon again here in Nashville, which is uh, downtown. And last year we played it right outside of Nissan Stadium at the finish line. So you had like 50,000 marathon runners. And as they're running in and curving in and going into Nissan Stadium, they would see us performing on stage. So that was kind of fun because that's the most people I've ever seen or played for in my life. And that was that was a thrill. And then the funny thing was across the Cumberland River was the NFL draft week. So there was like 500,000 people right across the river, too. I've never seen that many people in Nashville in my life. I was like, this is insane. Uh, so we got that. I don't know if that one's been canceled or like postponed till maybe the fall. I don't know. We're still waiting to hear on that. And then um, there was a couple others sprinkled in there. Um, there is a chance that we still have on the books a show in Shelbyville uh, slated for July the 11th at the Strand Theater. It has not been canceled yet. Uh, I've heard rumors that Indiana may be open by July the 4th. That's that what they're claiming right now. Yeah, and that includes live shows. So even if they practice social distancing, that's a big enough theater that if people wanted to sit separated in seats apart, they, they probably could be just fine if they wanted to attend that. So uh, I'll have to keep you posted. I, I hope that show goes on. It'd be a really fun show to come back out of quarantine and, and play that theater. Yeah. So we've had a handful like everybody else. Aren't you guys slowly opening up down there as well? It's creeping open. It's weird because there's a lot of, a lot of the counties except for Davidson County, which is downtown Nashville and a couple others are like, pretty much opened up like I what is it Friday restaurants and um, some other places are opening back up at a hundred percent right now restaurants are open here where I live so I live south of Nashville but they're open at like 50 percent and then they're gonna go up to 100 on Friday you're pretty much like where we're at right now outside of Indianapolis it's 50 percent right now oh, okay yeah and, and the only reason like they said for downtown Nashville is because that's like the tourist mecca yeah and, and so I know it's going to be packed. Right. There's even bars, though, like the Honky Tonks on Broadway. They're kind of being defiant to that. Like, I just read an article this morning, like Legends Corner uh, down, <laughs> downtown. They were having live music. They were having people in the bar, and they shouldn't have been doing it. But it's their bar. They're going to do what they're going to do. <laughs> I was talking to someone who just came back from Gatlinburg, and mm -hmm. they said that Gatlinburg was so busy that they had to make some of the traffic one lane because they had to extend the sidewalks out in the streets because there's that many people in Gatlinburg right now. Yeah, yeah. I talked to a buddy of mine who I work with in my day job today, and he, uh, him and his wife went to the beach. He lives in North Carolina near the coast, and he said he went to the beach over the weekend, and by 2 o'clock in the afternoon, he said the beach was packed with more people than it was on a typical holiday weekend. So he's... He didn't feel comfortable, so they bailed at that point. But he's like, dude, they don't listen. They're they're doing what they want to do. And everyone's so eager to get out and do something. Yeah, everybody's been pent up for months and they're they're going a little bit crazy and you know they're gonna do what they're gonna do. Especially when states are like, ah, eh, we're open. Even if you know, use best practices. <laughs> yeah. You got a pretty heavy fall schedule coming up of dates booked or I hope, so what we're thinking that we're going to do is the shows 
that got postponed technically, we're just gonna bump them to the fall instead. So uh, I hope that that's what we're gonna do is it didn't happen in the spring, so we'll just move all those shows to the fall. Uh, I'm gonna reach out to Capone's and reschedule that, that other Shelbyville show for the fall if I can, because I know they were eager to have us because they were really looking forward to having us too. Uh, those shows in North Carolina and some other states. And then I think we're playing some Halloween show here in Tennessee in a different city uh, on Halloween night. So that'll be fun too. I think we're playing at some, like a harbor somewhere outside, like where boats will pull up and everything. So that'll be kind of interesting. Cool. Had to be kind of a bummer with yeah. that album having all the success that it did. And I know. Use that momentum. and it, It's tough. It, but we're not alone. That's, there's All the musicians are feeling it right now. And the other scary thought is, as well, when everything's back opened up again, what venues survived? You know, what what's left to go perform in? Because there's uh, petitions going around in Nashville just to try to get funding to help keep the venues around here surviving and, and alive. And I know it's got to be just as bad for the independents out there across the country. Um, I was talking to one of my buddies who's a manager of a big Christian artist the other day. And he's like, you know, the way that it's going to be arena shows, we don't know when arena shows will return. I mean, maybe in 2021, but we don't know because of all of this. So it, it may be a shift. You may start seeing bigger artists doing like small theater tours. You know what I mean? So uh, that'll be really interesting to see what happens to the music industry over the next year, year and a half. I have Guns N' Roses tickets for August, so I'm hoping they... There you go. That's at Lucas Oil, so it's a pretty big venue for a band to play at. So. Hey, yeah. Old so, That's fun. You mentioned that you your band is not on a label. Are you guys wanting to be on a label, or are you just going to stay independent? So, good question. We... <laughs> We go back and forth on that question a lot. Um, it'd be nice to have the support of a label from a muscle standpoint. Um, but it's also, <clears throat> I'll say this, if they were the right type of label, meaning like not one of the big juggernaut labels who are gonna probably dictate Every single little thing that we do on our record, every single little song has to be like what they want. Otherwise, they'll threaten to shelf your album and they'll just never release it and then you owe them money. Yep. So that's a trap. Uh, but if you have a good sized independent label and they're like, hey, we'll front you the money maybe just for the production, just to go in the studio, get it done, um, but we'll take a cut of everything to recoup and, you know, and not butcher like your merchandise sales and everything else kind of sales to where they're going to take all the money from you. Uh, at the same time, we've kind of been able to do pretty much, I feel like we've been able to do pretty much anything that we could do with a label without one. Uh, meaning like we crowdfunded the last two albums, three albums, uh, and every time that we've done an album, we've been blessed because our fan base keeps growing and growing. So we, we sell it like, hey, this is a pre-sale because it is a pre-sale. If they want to in advance, they can go ahead and say for $10, I want to pre-sale or pre-order your album or an autographed copy of your album. And for $25, I'm going to get an album and a t-shirt and whatever else. So they're giving us the money up front as fans mm -hmm. and they're acting like a label because a label is nothing but a bank and a PR firm, right? They're going to give you the money and they're going to go out there and sell the album so they can make as much money as godly possible. Mm -hmm. So if your fans believe in you enough, then they're going to front you the money in a way by pre-ordering what you're going to give them on the back end. And then we'll go into the studio with that money. We'll, pay the producer to do what we got to do then we have to pay for each song to get mastered and then we have to get everything distributed and then then you have music videos then you have the merchandise it's a whole ordeal it's a big project to do yeah. an album and then what how we reward them for that though is they're the first people who will get the album they're the first people who will get the merch because they've paid for it already in advance 
And then months later, we have a rollout date of when we're going to release the album, and that's how it works. So, yeah, I've done a few different bands, so I'm 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 somewhat familiar with it. That's why I was kind of asking. My kind of thoughts is in today's day and age with social media and all the like you mentioned, crowdfunding, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, a lot of ways labels aren't necessary like they once were. No, they're dying. Years ago, even they were really necessary. Like you couldn't survive as a band without a label you just couldn't do it you couldn't get yeah works out to the public and it's kind of flip-flopped now you have bigger musicians or bands just walking away from labels because they they figure they figured the game out i think they're just like we can cut the middleman out we can keep a lot more money in our pocket uh do you know the you know the band red yeah okay red did that like yep. a year ago they were with Sony for I don't know how many years. Mm -hmm. God only knows how many millions of dollars they lost because of Sony. Mm -hmm. And they finally had enough of it. And they were like, we're going to start our own label. We'll just call it Bob's label. I don't know what they call it. <laughs> but they put out their first record independently, I think like a month ago. It's a great album. It's probably one of their better ones, actually, in the last two or three that they put out. Because the chains were off. They could be as creative as they want. They already had millions of followers. So these millions of followers helped crowdfund their whole new label, that album, everything. Yeah. Like they crowdfunded, I think, like over a hundred thousand dollars. And then they just went in the studio, put out an awesome album, and they're doing just fine until the virus hit. Well, I've even seen bands like as big as KISS start their own label and then sign like exclusive distribution deals with like Walmart and stuff and that's yeah. the only place you can buy the album is Walmart, and Walmart's big enough they can be your distributor if you already have yeah. that massive of a fan base. Well, and, and things have changed so much with the digital age of music, too. Um, nobody really buys physical albums anymore. You know, you got a, you got a cell phone that's got an iPod built into it or whatever. Uh, we, use, uh, we use CD Baby to distribute our music digitally. Uh, they help control the royalties for everything on that. We sign up with them. So, you know, with streaming or downloads, then like, I think it's every, oh, with CD Baby, it might be every month. I was going to say with ASCAP or some of these others that control the royalties and making sure that musicians get paid correctly, they'll either pay you monthly or they'll pay you quarterly and make sure that you get the royalties that you've deserved from all of the, the digital spins. But uh, what's crazy about it is, you know, I think musicians obviously made a lot more money back in the day because, because back then you could buy an album for 10 bucks and the musicians would get the 10 bucks right out the gate. In order for me to get 10 bucks now, you'd have to stream my album like 10,000 times. <laughs> in, as good as it might be, you're not going to do that. I know, you know, but it's such so a different game now. Yeah, streaming, from what I've heard, doesn't really help the artist out a whole lot. Album sales is still a lot better. Album and merch sales. Yeah, yeah. The only way we make the, the most money is getting out and playing shows. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's been true for years for musicians uh, because labels used to get the, the return off of CD sales or album sales and, and merch, too. And then hopefully the musicians made enough money off ticket sales, though, that it would pay back the labels. Mm -hmm. And then they would hopefully clear a good profit just from getting out and doing as many shows as they possibly could. Uh, same is true for small independents like ourselves, too. You know, we go out and do those shows out of state because we make more money when we go out of state of Tennessee. Uh, and that's not just because of what the venues will pay us. That's because we're selling the merch that we've created our own and the, the albums as well. People will buy physical albums when you're at a show though. So they'll, they'll, if they enjoy the music, then they're going to be like, Oh, I'll give me one of each of your albums and give me a t-shirt or a, a, a drink koozie or a button pin or something like that, that we're selling at the shows. And there's been several nights where we'll make, as much money off of merch sales as we've made off of the guarantee from the show or something, you know, and we'll, we'll walk away with a really good profitable weekend. And then that money just goes in a, a general band fund and we use it for gas to go on to another show. 
or if we had any money left over, we'll order more t-shirts for merch or, you know, we, we reinvest it back in the band. So. What's the, when's the next album coming out? Uh, it's in its little itty bitty infancy right now. Yeah, Rusty and I have already started talking about it, which means that his, I think his and my goals are the same. We would love to probably get back in the studio by the end of 2020. So I would say stay tuned because there'll probably be a lot of things that will develop in the fall in regards to that. We, we may do another uh, pre-sale launch sometime this fall, uh, but those are in the beginning talks. Which is weird because I tracked the drums for Liquid Exorcist two years ago, this coming October, which is nuts for me to think about that it's been that long ago. And we just put that album out this past November. Mm -hmm. That's how long it takes. Like I said, it's a project. There's, there's a lot to roll out. You really didn't get to fully utilize this album because a lot of bands record music just so they have new music to tour with. And with coronavirus, it kind of put a damper on. It did. Getting a full length out of this album. and Yeah, going. that part kind of stunk. What was nice, though, was um, we, we had a really good uh, album release show in November here in Nashville. We had, there was like 100 people that came out, man. And we got to play at Grimey's uh, new and pre-loved music store. And that's awesome because it's kind of legendary here in Nashville. It's the biggest, most famous record store in the town. And uh, I was happy to be able to secure that as our location to do our big album release party. So we had a blast with that. And then we had a handful of shows from November through uh, January before the virus hit and everything kind of put the kibosh on it. But yeah, so we'll get out there and we'll support that album as soon as we can. <laughs> <laughs> what's the appeal of you always hear of artists going to nashville or la is it that is that just because that's where all the music studios are or there's so many venues to play at because the I, place is filled with bars what's the appeal of going to nashville to uh for me it was uh not just the venues are cool, uh, and, and it is Music City USA, but it's the largest melting pot of talented musicians, I think, that you'll find yourself in. And that's probably true with LA. That's probably true with parts of New York City still, and even like uh, Florida, like Miami or something like that. Um, it, it was always a struggle sometimes for me in Indiana to find serious musicians who wanted to play long term uh I, like i said earlier i was in, i was in and out of a lot of like bar bands cover bands and the reason i say like a lot of them is because none of them really wanted to stick together you know and, and that's fine everybody has lives everybody does their own thing but in nashville you're gonna still find that you're still gonna find some people that'll come and go because we've changed our roster i don't know how many times since we've been a band since i've been in the band but uh, it's, it's the fact that you can swap people out, uh, but there's equally as talented individuals that you're swapping them out with, or maybe more talented individuals, depending on who you're shopping for at what given point in time. Well, most of those people moved to Nashville with the purpose of being in a band, okay. not yeah. for something to do on the weekends, to yeah. make a couple hundred bucks at a bar. Yeah, they're not, they're not usually here to kid around. They're usually here to be a part of something big. Um, now that's not to say that we haven't had people that have kind of flaked out or, or whatever, but, uh, that flaked out's a bad thing. It's more like they moved on cause they had something they wanted to do different. You know what I mean? Whether they wanted to play country or, or some other genre, mm -hmm. that's cool. You know, if that's where your heart lies, then go do that. You know what I mean? And, but, uh, we're our, we're kind of a hard rock band. So we want to find people that want to throw down with us. <laughs> I think that's a misperception about the city of Nashville. I think people that, that aren't from there just think it's all country when yeah. you go there and find about any kind of. You can find a lot of rock talent in this town. That was actually, I think, my bigger surprise. When I moved here, like I said, I, I wanted to be a bar drummer or whatever again. But then I started to, uh, after I hooked up with Russ, and he's like, 
we're, all right, we got show here, we got a show here, we got a show there. And we started getting out on the circuit and playing around. And I started making friends with all these other people in the other rock bands. And I really started, not just friends, I'm like, I'm fans of a lot of these guys' music. So I'm like, why had I not heard of some of these things before? You know what I mean? Um, like An Anchor Thieves. Look up the band Anchor Thieves here in Nashville. They're, I always, I always joke and I say, man, they're like Weezer. And I grew up loving Weezer. Uh, but they're like the sweetest guys and they're just as good live as they sound on their album. And then um, we got to play with them finally like a, a year, year and a half ago. And they were one of my favorite bands in Nashville. And then I got hooked up with a band called um, uh, The Clover Club, which they rebranded and renamed themselves Them Fixes. Them Fixes is Dustin Carlry and uh, their drummer Sean. And they just put out a killer cover to Filters, Hey Man, Nice Shot this past week. That's amazing so like i always it's it's a fun competition in a way if you think of it in nashville i've always heard la is more cutthroat where they're more likely to just put their boot on your neck and not let up and be like i'm here to reign supreme to heck with you whereas nashville is way different it's a, it's like a family of everybody supporting everybody for the most part and they're cheering you on, they're rooting for you to be successful because we're all friends. And we hope that like we can kind of keep climbing the ladder together, so to speak. So it's different. It pretty competitive in the fact trying to book venues in Nashville since there's so many musicians in Nashville to Yeah, it's a headache. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Uh, every musician I've met and I've and I've dealt with it myself is we're always like the worst thing that we, we have to do is try to book a freaking show. Because like trying to, one, trying to get a venue to even respond to your Facebook message, phone call, voicemail, email, whatever, because they're getting a thousand a week. You know what I mean? And you gotta get creative. So usually when we've had success with playing a show at a venue here in town, uh, we'll go up and introduce ourselves. We'll make friends with those people because those relationships are easier for a return. So that's helped us a lot. Uh, I, I've, I think me and Rusty have played at almost every venue in town with the exception of about two or three. Wow. Um, you know, excluding the big ones. We haven't played the Rhyme and we haven't played the Grand Ole Opry and we haven't played <laughs> Bridgestone. But we've played at the medium tier lo you know, locations, size locations. We've played at almost all of them. Now are the venue owners more cutthroat when it comes to paying bands what they should get since they have so many bands coming to them? Yeah. Or probably willing to do it for next to nothing. Yep. So uh, the, I don't know if you guys even know this or the little known fact, but Broadway, all the bars on Broadway do not pay musicians. They'll give you a tip bucket. They will charge you for water. Wow. And they say, we can get a hundred of you to come in and play because you're the world's best karaoke musicians. And I think the way that they're treated is very poorly in these bars. Cause on a normal good year, um, I think I saw it last year, they put out the numbers of what these honky tonks were getting uh, profit wise. Like one of the most profitable bars downtown made $11 million last year. And they were like, I, I, I'm in this musician's uh, in Nashville's group on Facebook and they were like we should revolt we shouldn't even <laughs> play there because they're like we don't got any money to pay you musicians but would the tourists go there if they weren't playing I, I don't know so it's, so it's the sad thing is is even if most of the real musicians revolted the karaoke people would go in there and I think people would, would still go in there and yeah they would uh, they wouldn't hurt for for business and I mean don't get me wrong I'm not complaining because of the tourism that comes into this town, it's what makes Nashville Nashville. It, it keeps money in the pockets of all these people and it keeps Broadway alive. And that's, the, that's what makes this town special is that Broadway still going after all of these years. Uh, but yeah, they, the musicians do get kind of not treated what they're worth in my opinion. And um, for us, we, we've never, we don't play uh, bar gigs down <clears throat> downtown on Broadway because that's like the, a lot of people don't know this too there's a standard set list 
like each bar has a standard set list of current country, pop, rock, whatever songs that people know that they can sing along to. Mm -hmm. So you have to play X, Y, Z if you want to play my bar kind of thing, right? Where we'd play is we play the underground circuit. So we'll go play the end or we'll play uh, the basement or the basement east before it got destroyed by the tornado. Uh, we'll play a lot of these other places um, around town that we know that we don't have to fit a mold. We can play our music and we can throw in a few covers too if we want to. You know what I mean? Which uh, in Broadway, you'd have to play all covers. You have to play, yeah. Every now and then, I think there are some bars I've heard where they're getting a little more flexible and they're letting people throw a few of their originals in there. Uh, and that's good to hear. Uh, I think Kid Rock is a big supporter of that in his, in his honky tonk. So that's really cool to hear. Um, so it just depends. It, it's always been hard for us to get anything going with some of these venues. But I'll tell you what, it's a lot easier to book outside the state of Tennessee. And I'll make more money. Well, there's here in Shelbyville, there's less competition to yeah. who are they going to? Yeah. There's That's, not that many local bands that are playing regularly or taking it seriously. Right. And then, you know, you got kind of a label on your back when you're a band from Nashville. You can't just leave Tennessee and go play a show somewhere and you can't stink. <laughs> because and people be like, oh, they're from Nashville. That means you know they're good because there's a standard. Mm -hmm. So uh, you get to bill yourself as a Nashville recording artist. Mm -hmm. So we practice constantly. I'm lucky because Rusty's really good and the guys are really good. You know, I'm okay. So, <laughs> so oh, we. Uh, you like to sell yourself short. Yeah, I'm just old. I've been playing for 30 years this year. I remember. I remember <laughs> back when you lived here. I teabagged your old drum set. <laughs> You totally did. And I sent you a picture of it. <laughs> oh, I forgot all about that. Yeah, you did. Uh, memories. <laughs> you got a new drum set now, though, so it's... I got uh, a new one. Yeah, I'm going to have to keep it away from you. <laughs> <laughs> your new one looks pretty fancy. I won't stick my balls on your new one. That I love that kid, man. I uh, So I can let you know, uh, let you in on some secrets here, too, with Outlaw Drums. Because you know I've been endorsed by them for quite some time. I think it's a, it's been almost a year and a half because I signed the contract back in January 2019. And uh, Michael Outlaw, he, he does phenomenal work. I cannot brag about that guy enough. He, he, he's been doing uh, woodworking for the majority of his life. And then his dad helped him and everything like that. And they built Outlaw Drums. So I fell in love with their craftsmanship right after I moved to Nashville. I think I came across a, a YouTube video of them building a snare drum. And I was like, Man, that thing looks wicked. So uh, like it had holes in it. It looked like, a, like you just cut a tree up and slapped two drum heads on it. And it had like knots in it and everything. And he likes to just differentiate himself from the pack that way. He'll take old historic wood and he'll do that. Uh, so when I started working with him, to build my kit I told them what kind of band I was in and everything and they had uh, this old cypress swamp wood from the Okefenokee swamp and he said I think we have enough boards from that that we could build you a kit depending on the size of the kit and I said okay cool because I'm in a nautical rock and roll band swamp wood that goes with the theme and he had a snare drum uh, built with the same wood uh, from that same pile of wood, anyway, uh, for Marty Stewart's drummer. So everybody knows the country legend, Marty Stewart. So I said, can you send me that sound file? I just want to hear what the snare sounds like, because if I can hear the snare, I, I can tell you, I, I'll know what the kit will sound like in my head. And it sounded really, really good. It sounds like a maple snare, only um, deeper, and you have a wider tuning range. Um, so anyway, I had him build me that kit. I wanted to go for like a John Bonham style kit where I had one rack tom and I had two floors, like an old school rock kit. You know what I mean? Something big and boomy. <clears throat> and anyway, so our relationship's gone really, really well. Me and Mike have become really, really good friends over the last couple of years. And um, within the last two weeks, three weeks, uh, we were talking about um, his artist roster. Right. He's, so I'm an endorsed artist and he has a whole list of other artists on the roster as well that uh, promote outlaw drums and they play outlaw drums. 
And he uh, had parted ways recently with his artist relations manager. And he's, he's needing help in that department. So I said, well, why don't I just do it? I'll help you out. I don't care. So he and I have been talking on the phone almost every other day now for the last two weeks solid. And um, he's going to do a formal announcement soon. But uh, I, I will be Outlaw Drum's new artist relations manager. Awesome. Congratulations. Thanks. That'll be, be a lot of fun because I, I love to talk drums. I love to talk with the other artists about their love for their craft as well, too. Uh, so I will make it my mission to, to keep all those guys on the artist roster happy and, and to hopefully bring on some more talented uh, musicians as well to be a part of the Outlaw Drums team. So looking forward to that. Yeah. I've seen some of the stuff you've shared that they've made on your Facebook page and it's all like a work of art. It just doesn't look like a typical drum set. You'd go to a guitar center and buy, you can tell it's something it's, special. It's insane what he's capable of creating. Uh, and most, most of the bigger drum companies uh, will do like they do wood plies. So the, it'll be like seven or six or eight ply wood. So it's like plied wood where they glue it on top together, they'll mill it out and then it'll make a ring and they glue the ring together. What Mike does is he only builds segmented or staved drum sets. What that means is mine is, mine is segmented. So that's why if you look at it, it looks like squares glued on top of squares, checkerboard pattern, right? Because he'll put it together like it's a, like a hexagon and then he'll glue like an inch ring on top of another, on top of another to get the depth that I wanted on whatever drum that he's building. And then after the glue's all set and everything, then he does all the mill work inside now. And then they'll drill the holes for the lugs and everything like that. And then they'll, they'll do the, the staining from there. So it's, it's incredible because it's a thicker, more durable build. That's why I'm saying that. Like I could probably stand on my kick drum and it won't flex one ounce. But if I did that on my old Gretsch kit that's built out of plies, I'll probably break it. <laughs> Go right through it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what you get out of that is you get more depth and you get more, you don't get like annoying ring out noises from ply drums. You just get good, good thick punchy drums that hold good tune. Yeah. So is that the kit you take on every show using the recording studio? And uh, So I haven't had a chance to record it yet because I had already tracked the drums for Liquid Exorcist before I became endorsed and before he built me my new kit. So what you hear on Liquid Exorcist is the uh, house kit at Yaklin Studios where I recorded that. It was an old vintage uh, Ludwig kit. And uh, I used my snare and my cymbals, but I used the kit that Steven Lywicki, our producer, had in-house. Uh, sounded good. Uh, he had, I think he had two kids. He had that one and he had an, uh, an old Gretsch kid. And I like Gretsch too, but I just liked how, like I put the mics on, I put the headphones on and I liked how they were mic'd up and how it sounded when we just messed around to get levels one day. And I was like, yeah, this will work just fine. We'll play this guy. So I can't wait to record with Russ next because I'm going to use my kit. And I, I've heard sound files that Michael Outlaw has done and he did, a sound file on mine as well uh, when I came down to pick it up, but it's not, um, it hasn't been run through like, I've heard, I, I'm really, really excited to hear what it sounds like through a professional soundboard mixed and mastered is what I'm saying. So, yeah. Well, I hope that uh, Shelbyville show you guys have planned on the 11 sticks. I'm off that weekend, so we'll no, definitely be there. I hope so, too. That'd be a fun show to come back and play. It's been on my bucket list to play that theater, too. Uh, oh, you guys haven't played it yet? Haven't played it yet. And, I, you know, with us growing up in Shelby County, we grew up going to the theater there, going and watching yeah. movies there. I think, I think I saw my first movie ever when I was a little tot. I believe I did, too. Yeah, yeah. And I, so I got oh, a lot of... I saw his first there as well. See, so we, we have a, a lot of happy memories of that theater, and I, I thought it'd be cool to play there, you know, ever since they've, uh, they've revamped it, revised everything in there. That I've, I've been following along. They gutted that place years ago, and they've just done a tremendous job with preservation. Have you been inside it since they made it one big theater room compared to, the, I think it was three when we were a kid. Yeah. 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 
I go to the uh, Donnie Baker show there every December. He yeah. him every December. I haven't seen Donnie yet, but I did see um, Gilbert Gottfried years ago when he was yeah, I remember when he did that venue. I just couldn't make it. They get some decent comedians there every once in a while. Yeah, they do. Gilbert was hysterical, and I got to meet him and, and get a picture with him afterward, too. But Donnie's funny, too. He'd be great to see. I go to Donnie every year when he's there. and yeah. uh, Caroline Ray, I believe, has been there as well. So they got somebody over there that knows how to book. Yeah, they uh, they they get some pretty legitimate acts in there too. So it's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're looking forward to that. I hope it happens. I hope it does too. Yeah, I hope so. You got any last questions for him, Brian? Uh, no, I don't. Well, we've gone almost an hour, which is about our limit. Okay. Uh, you got any uh you want to share your social media info the, so people can follow the band on social media or? yeah it's just rusty ship uh on facebook or at rusty ship band uh and the same thing for instagram we're on all the the socials we're on twitter uh but follow us on spotify if you'd like to stream music we're on spotify apple music everything you can think of go to youtube follow us on there too as well uh, a new service that we actually just launched uh, a couple weeks back is uh, we uh, created a Patreon group. So if you just go to patreon.com slash rusty ship, then you can actually gain exclusive access to some things that uh, not everybody else is going to see. So we've already actually last was last night. Last night we just did our first monthly uh, at home concert series through Patreon. So if you sign up to be a patron, basically, then you're going to get access to see us do some at-home concert performance series, since we can't get out and obviously do the live shows just yet. So follow us on all those things, and uh, any other uh, things that you're looking for can probably be found on RustyShip.com, like if you want to purchase merchandise or if you want to order any physical copies of the albums. Well, I appreciate you coming on here. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Yeah. It's it awesome talking to the both You're of you. Talking, I learned a lot about music and how the industry works that I didn't know. Yeah, I still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all just here figuring it out. Well, we look forward to seeing you out there when you guys get out and about. And ah, thanks, man. Both of you guys. You guys have a good night. Yep. Thanks. Have a good night.